Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my Manilow groupie wife would have me say, <laughs> but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. But I am not a Manilow groupie. I like Manilow, but I am not a Manilow groupie. For those of you out there who pay any attention to our Facebook pages, this past week I took my lovely bride to Las Vegas so she could see her childhood love. For 35 years, she has wanted to see him in person, and she got to see him, and it was a terrific show, and now everyone is calling me a Manilow groupie. I'll tell you what, I took her to the Twilight movies, too, but I am not a Twilight groupie. You know, it's the price we pay when we love our partners. All right, our chat room is open to my pretty partner, Ravinder, and our lovely chat room monitor, Andrea, await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. I do love our chat room, and we have some truly great folks that join us each week. So, Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. We have an amazing chat room, and uh, yeah, right this moment they are talking about you being a Manilow groupie too, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I'm totally unashamed of being a Manilow groupie. I'm a very elegant groupie, though. I waited 35 years. <laughs> Come on, I'm I'm very self-controlled. Patient, perhaps. I don't know about elegant. You were really excited. But now I'm pushing to go to another one. It was an amazing concert. I would I would recommend everyone go see it. You know, it's one in a once in a lifetime kind of thing he's very magical but anyway the chat room is really cool we do talk about things other than Barry Manilow I promise you we have some great conversation and we would love to have you there too so do join us at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat he is a fabulous entertainer a fabulous entertainer there's no question about that in this week's spotlight we turn our attention to gratitude I have long looked at gratitude as one of the corners to what I have called the four-corner philosophy for well-being. This four-corner perspective is completely developed and fleshed out in my book, Choices and Illusions. The idea behind the four corners is one of structural support for all phases in life, including those moments when seemingly everything goes wrong. Gratitude plays a critical role here, so much so that a few years ago we made up lapel buttons that simply stated, I have a gratitude attitude. A few years ago, gosh, that was many years ago now, wasn't it? Like 20 Time flies. Wow. Gratitude impacts our lives in many ways. Obviously, it can set the tone for almost everything we experience. I learned a long time back that viewing all of the stimuli that comes to me with this lens, I can't wait to see what good comes from this, was absolutely empowering. I have shared stories about how this one switch in our psychology, can turn the so-called ugly events into the funniest things we have ever experienced. However, gratitude is much more powerful than just this. I tell everyone that our thoughts are tremendously powerful, so powerful 
that we must take the time to train our own stream of consciousness, our own self-talk, to ensure that it adequately serves us instead of sneakily playing saboteur. Our thoughts not only influence our mood states, they absolutely impact our physiology. This past week, I posted the findings of a new study. The title of the article says it well. A grateful heart is a healthier heart. The article went on to describe how researchers found that more gratitude in patients was associated with better mood, better sleep, less fatigue, and lower levels of inflammatory biomarkers related to cardiac health. Further, what surprised the researchers about the findings was that gratitude fully or partially accounted for the beneficial effects of spiritual well-being. The researchers discovered a positive correlation between the restoration of health and gratitude as well. When the subjects used a gratitude journal, their conditions improved. Now, this is a strategy that I first employed with a client who had resisted all forms of treatment for severe depression and suicidal ideation more than 25 years ago, and it worked very well. The conclusion of this new study, and I quote, It seems that a more grateful heart is indeed a more healthy heart, and that gratitude journaling is an easy way to support cardiac health. Close quote. Thoughts are things. As a pragmatist, we should all endeavor to encourage optimistic thoughts that, are, that support our well-being in every way. To intentionally allow any other form of thinking is simply counterproductive. It won't be long before your thoughts are linked in a clinic to your genes for purposes of healing. Indeed, just Monday of this week, another new study announced that, and I quote, scientists combined a brain-computer interface with an optogenetic switch to create the first-ever brain-gene interface, close quote. Thinking as destiny is no longer lofty words belonging to the sages of lore. Today... Thinking is destiny, is a way of life. Maintaining a positive gratitude attitude is a foundational girder that will not fail you. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, the um, I've often I've often been aware, or I've I've been aware for a very long time. There <laughs> you go. Forget my words, straight about biofeedback and stuff. But you know, actually controlling genes too—that's. I found that article really inter interesting. I'm hanging on to see what else comes of that. But gratitude, you know, if you have if you have happy thoughts, it changes your your biochemistry, and then things don't upset you as much. So I do often try to focus on happy moments. Well, this whole new collect field, happy moments. This whole new field of epigenetics is just you know barely being birthed. But we are learning that we don't need optogenetics by way of a connection uh, to our genes to give rise to manifesting some aspects of the genes. We can manifest certain aspects of the genes just by the thought processes, what we might call our mood states, our attitudes, our beliefs. Um, without all of that extra electronics that they're now preparing to implant. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. 
Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week we enjoyed a conversation with John Brunke. Uh, Don Brunke. I could get that, you know, I'll, I'll say it correctly. Yes, you know, quit looking at me like that, will you? Stan wrote, I love the shows you do about animals, but I don't know how to avoid lending some hand, if only indirectly, to the horrible world of slaughter yards. My family occasionally eats meat, and like Don said, it's also sanitized in the store wrapped up in cellophane. What do you do, Dr. Taylor? Well, Ravinder, you and I have discussed this several times, and there simply isn't an easy answer. There are times, um, places where it's appropriate, even necessary, um, and, and, you know, the diets that uh, are totally appropriate to consume meat given certain conditions. So the issue, I think, isn't the eating of meat per se, it, it's more how the animal is treated and the intent that attends our consumption. You know, the Native Americans, of course, had all kinds of rituals to a buffalo hunt. There was, uh, you know, after the kill, before the ingestion, there was the blessing, there was the ceremonies, there were the dances. This was an animal they held to be sacred because their sustenance depended on that. But we've gone a long way from that. So how do you see this, Rav? Oh, that's a really big issue with me, as you are well aware. Um, you know, I'm not against eating meat myself, um, because if you look out at the world, you know, it happens throughout the animal kingdom. It is just part of the natural way. What I really dislike is this sanitized in the grocery store. You have no idea. Everyone just wants the the best value for their dollar, so they go for the cheapest, and they're not paying any attention to what's going on in the background and the farming methods and all of that stuff. And it becomes really difficult to avoid it all simply because everyone around you is eating it too, and it's really hard to figure out what foods have animal products in and where they come from. To me, I think of it as... Um, just like you have the carbon footprint, I've talked to you about this before, you have the carbon footprint, I think of it as having an animal footprint, and I'm just working at reducing my own and re drastically reducing the animal cruelty. You can't avoid it all, but I just do my best, and I think about it constantly. I work on it. I focus on it. Um, I'm not going to forget because animals are too important. Amen, especially if you, um, as we discussed last week, start looking at animals as though they have souls. Which I believe they do. Perhaps you will look upon how you, yeah. Phyllis wrote, I love it when your guest joins the chat room. It was, uh, it was lovely having Don in the chat room last week. I don't know how they talk to you and answer our questions, but they do, and it's great. All right, Ravinder, I think one of the advantages to our archive system is the fact that your chat room dialogue is available as well as the show. So when people go back um, and listen to the archive, the chat log is also there, and they can see the details like earls that are mentioned and, and, and the conversation that's exchanged and the input sometimes from our guests like Don last week. You might remind everyone of that 
from time to time when you're explaining your chat room in the get-go. In fact, why not tell everyone where they can find the archives now? Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com and click on archives. You can search for a particular show. You can browse through shows that we've had. But every one that you click on, in addition to having information about what the show was, um, they will also have the chat room right there. You can click on it and replay it at your leisure. So you can replay the chat room while you're listening to the show itself. This is the next best thing to being there live. That's true. Okay. All right. Don commented in our chat room last week, quote, As a culture, we are fairly disconnected from the whole process of eating animals. To reconnect, we may need to face our own shadow material, i.e., why we disconnected from that to begin with. Profound thought. Mark added, I think there will always be large farms for the sake of economy of scales and efficiency. However... It is possible for these farms to apply more humane methods to its treatment of animals. And therein, I think, is how we reduce that footprint. Our son, for example, loves chicken. So when we go to the store and buy a chicken, and I could buy a five-pound chicken for, you know, $6, $7. Instead, I buy the five-pound chicken that cost me 12 or 14 because it's been the chicken that free-ranged and wasn't fed any chemicals and so on and so forth that's what you mean by reduce your that's exactly it was a it's a happy chicken it's not something that i want to do but our son is going through growth spurts you know and whenever he's going through a growth spurt he wants meat now you can't feed him enough and i'm not going to deprive him and it is natural and whatever so yeah we go out of our way we could buy a rotisserie chicken already cooked and that would cost six dollars but no we get the free range chicken and we bring it home and it takes hours to cook and all of that stuff things you do all right (laughs) norma wrote intertalk the best subliminal programs anywhere i love that thanks norma Mr. Movie and News wrote this about my book, Choices and Illusions. Things we all need to know about ourselves and keep in mind to make the most of our lives. My copy is well-read, dog-eared, annotated, and always nearby. Pat wrote this about Choices and Illusions. Great book. Everyone should read. This book makes you think in a whole other perspective. A must-read. It may change your life. Shannon wrote, I love your books, your radio show, and my Intertalk CDs are golden to me. I cannot tell you how much of a difference your materials have made in my life. Please keep them coming. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at eldontaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly appreciate your feedback and support. I do read all of your emails, and I answer almost all of them, so please keep them coming. Now to this week's show, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing, with author Brenda Michaels. Several years ago, we conducted an oncology study of our own. A number of physicians cooperated in aiding us to measure the effectiveness of our Intertalk Cancer Remission Program. A program, by the way, which is free, and you can download it uh, on my website. This was a small pilot study, but the results begged many questions. The protocol called for providing the cancer remission recording to terminal patients with a planned follow-up to take place three years later. When we collected the data three years later, we discovered a couple of very interesting things. Two groupings jumped out at me. The first, every single patient who believed the mind had a role in wellness 
and whose physician agreed was in remission. By contrast, every single patient whose physician did not believe the mind had a role in wellness, regardless of what the patient believed, was deceased. Now, this was a small pilot study, but this was still compellingly provocative. Why a correlation of this nature? What difference did the attitude of the physician have to do with the patient's recovery? Today, the puzzle's been solved for me. We now know, through the use of fMRI, that the area of the brain that discriminates, the caudate nucleus, shuts down, to use the words of MRI folks. That's to say, in the presence of the authority, we fail to discriminate. Now, this is probably a matter of conditioning. The way we are raised, our enculturation, seriously impairs our willingness to challenge and question authority. So unless we know to guard against this influence, we easily become prey to the words and beliefs of another. From the spotlight piece, it's readily apparent that what we choose to believe matters. For some time, there was a theory that linked certain diseases with personality types. But as more sophisticated research advanced, instead of personality emerging as a positively correlated factor in and of itself, what did become clear was the style by which stress was managed. The interesting thing about stress is how we define it. For what might be stressful to one person, say repelling down a high-rise building, is exciting exercise to another. So again, we are dealing with our beliefs, our interpretations, which in turn impact our attitudes, mood states, neurochemicals, as well as the optimal operation of our INS, immune, and endocrine systems. Enter today's guest, Brenda Michaels. Brenda is the author, with Marsha Merkant, of The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing. She is currently the co-host of Conscious Talk Radio with her husband, Rob Spears. In her role as national speaker, workshop leader, and one-on-one coach to cancer patients, she shares the insights gained from her own healing experience, never forgetting that life is a work in progress. For 14 years, Brenda battled cancer. Then one day, she surrendered to the experience and found the gift in her disease. Her copy reads, and I quote, The gift of cancer, a miraculous journey to healing, speaks to anyone on a journey of well-being, whether suffering from a life-threatening disease or merely desiring to live a better, more fulfilling life. So on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Brenda Michaels. Thank you very much. It's so... uh such a treat to be with you, Eldon, and I tell you, I need to meet Ravender. She's one of me. I am definitely a fan of, uh, of uh, the animal things that you were talking about. Uh-huh. I sign a lot of petitions. I speak up for animals, and I'm very concerned about how we slaughter animals in this country, how we inhumanely slaughter animals in this country. We're very bonded in that respect, Ravender. I wanted you to know that. It's a very big issue in my life as well. And well, you just may get to meet her, Brenda, because your show is live in Seattle, Washington, mm-hmm. over, what is it, KT, what, what are the call K-K- letters? KKNW 1150 AM. Okay, good. And my wife, after coming back from uh, Las Vegas, is just so Manilow infatuated. Well, and I'm a Manilow fan, too. Wa- 
Okay, so she is now looking at booking us into his show. He's on his last tour, so it's claimed to be his last tour, uh-huh. in Seattle next uh, next month. Oh, wow. So maybe we can get together, and you can meet her, and you can talk about animals, and you can talk about Manilow. Yes, I love Barry Manilow, so I'm, I'm on the same page with her. Well, good. You heard the setup piece, Brenda. How important would you say managing your self-talk, your beliefs, when it comes to healing is? For me, in my own experience, it was number one. It was the number one thing that I really needed to look at and address in my life. And what really came forward for me in the beginning was looking at the beliefs that I held around um, a lot of different issues in my life and a lot of different cultural beliefs that are out there, how I made decisions based on those beliefs and how it how those decisions didn't always set well with me, and I stuffed those feelings so I didn't have to really deal with that end of it, and, and what my thought processes were. And our thought processes are generated, our perspectives are generated from our beliefs. And so when I sat down and I began to breathe into my body, and I was just doing this all on my own, I, I felt like I was really being guided. I'd never done any work like that before. And I began to look at my beliefs and really look at the deep core beliefs that I held. I was pretty shocked at some of the things that came forward. I think most people who choose to become mindful and attend to all of their thoughts, and when they, you know, when you have that thought that flows in, you know, that you're not smart enough, or you can't do this, or you mm-hmm. should do that, or, you know, when you have that negative thought, stop mm-hmm. for a minute. Where does that come from? Yeah. Why, why, would I, why would I think that? As opposed to deny it, or push it away, or ignore it, I think everyone that does that discovers what Freud would have referred to as their own shadow, that yeah. aspect of ourselves that we just want to deny, that aspect of ourselves that has all the pain and the injury uh, that we have experienced in our lives, how we've internalized it, how we've hidden it away, how, as Robert Bly would say, we've stuck it in our long bag. Yes, and, and we just, drag it around. Yeah, and we drag it around, and sometimes it weighs so much mm. We quit dragging. It pulls us down mm-hmm. like uh, like cancer might do. You know, that's... Okay, Brenda, we like to establish three things in our interviews. Okay. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And how do we use it? So to that end, you know, I want to begin by having you tell us about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, what were you like as a youngster? What you know? What sort of things did you like to do? What did you want to be when you grew up? And when you look back now, how many of those childhood ambitions, uh, you know, have you fulfilled, redefined, or forgotten all about? Mm. Well, my childhood was very tumultuous, and I, and I can't say that I had a really bad childhood because everything is relative. You know, I didn't know any different at the time. I didn't know that my father, who was very dominating, carried a lot of anger and rage, which was, by the way, repressed in him until it was triggered by something. And then it came forward with such a huge amount of energy that I was afraid of my father in a lot of instances. 
and his punishment techniques, the way he was raised, which was he came from severe abuse. He his abuse was far more um, than the abuse that he perpetrated on his children. But it's interesting that you find that if you're an abused child, unless you clear that energy, unless you go into that shadow side, you'll carry that through to your children. And that's what he did. And he was, there was a a, a tremendous... I'm going to ask you, Brenda, that was unfair of me to set up this deep a question when we have got a break that's going to kick us out. The computer's going to throw us out. So when we come back, I'm going to ask you to just pick it up from where you are. Okay. okay? We're speaking with Brenda Michaels about her life, work, and book, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing. It is a terrific read. To learn more about Brenda, visit her website at intentionalshift.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicki wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to innertalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. And hold it in our 
Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Brenda Michaels about her life, work, and book, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that does indeed have some genuine significance to them. Music impacts us all in many ways. Music can awaken forgotten memories and has even restored lost states of consciousness. Music affects our attention, memory, performance, and our choice in music has been linked to personality traits, so there can be a great deal of self-disclosure in the selection of one's favorite music. Okay, we just played The Prayer by Celine Dion. Why is this one special to you, Brenda, and how does it instruct us about who you are? It is so special to me. Um, Every time I hear that song, I'm called to tears. And the reason for that is because I used so much of what is in that song in my prayers every single day. I do to this day. And when the cancer came about the third time and I was given about a year to live, prayer became prayer and meditation and journaling became three instruments in my life that I used regularly. I still do. And I think there is a tremendous amount of power in prayer. And I think that when people say my prayers don't get answered, I feel, and at least it's been my experience, that when I opened up to receiving what I asked for, and I had to work on that deservability piece for myself Mm -hmm. in order to receive what I was asking for, it's always returned to me. And I, I discovered that by using those prayers, and I was getting guidance and what I, why I wasn't getting exactly what I wanted, and not necessarily in the form that I asked, was that I wasn't necessarily believing in my heart I deserved to have what I asked for. And so I did a lot of work on that deservability piece, which flows into the healing piece, because we mm-hmm. pray for healing. We ask to be healed. And we have to be willing to receive it. 
Did, did you play? I'm just curious. I mean, I hated to shut this song down. I mean, I could have just let it go. So but it's nearly a five-minute piece, mm-hmm. and so. You, you, but did you actually play that this particular piece of music during your healing process? No, it wasn't out yet. But a lot of the words that she uses about, you know, guide us, that right. type of thing, was my prayer. I asked every day for guidance and clarity and for a higher meaning to what I was going through so that I could, you talked very early on in your show about gratitude. Beautiful piece on gratitude. Thank you for that, Eldon, because I felt that I needed to be grateful with what is in my life, what was happening in my life, no matter where we're at, when we can flow to the other side of it and discover and explore the gifts that are there for us, we can always find gratitude no matter what. And gratitude was a huge piece of my healing as well. It is an incredible piece of music. Listen, before the break, uh, you were basically, I think, telling us about your father's long bag, because mm-hmm. as Bly says, you know, we may carry it in that long bag, but sooner or later it erupts, it comes back out on us as we're holding it, you know. And and so you were talking about how the abused person, your father in this instance, may not have been as abusive with you as as he was a victim of, but nevertheless, I take it there was abuse involved here. Pick it up and and flesh that out for us, will you please, Mm -hmm. Um, There wasn't as much physical abuse, although there was some of that. There was more the emotional and the mental abuse. And there was, it was interesting because our family was very loud, and loud meaning there was a lot of yelling and screaming that went on in our family. A lot of arguing and fighting between my mother and my father, And a big part of that was my mom, who was pretty emotionally shut down, and I completely understand why now, she was fighting for us a lot of the times. When Dad would pick up a ruler or a piece of wood and he was going to punish us with that, or he was going to spank us uh, or hit us, because he resorted to that quite often. And she would try to stand up for us in that in those circumstances, and of course she was completely shut down. And so she was emotionally withdrawn. So there wasn't a safe place for us as children to go. And so you you take on a lot of negative beliefs around something's wrong with you, otherwise why would your, your mother and father treat you that way? You must be a bad person, otherwise why are you being punished so much? All of that took hold in my life. And those were some of those beliefs that were underneath the surface that were running my life. Yeah, I have to ask you this, uh, Brenda, because you, you describe your mother as being emotionally shut down, and that is one of the one of the areas where we see correlation with disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the history of cancer in your family? Is there a history of cancer? There is. Uh, My mother had uterine cancer when she was 33, and she was very fortunate to have had them catch it very quickly. And she, they didn't require any further, uh, you know, other than surgery. And she's 94 and still alive today, by the way. Wow. My father died of lung cancer, which for me was not a surprise. My dad carried a lot of 
grief, deep, deep grief and pain. And, uh, you know, if you know anything about organs and chakras, those place, those energies lodge in certain places for a reason. And so when my dad contacted lung cancer, it wasn't a surprise to me. Okay. Now, I, I know a great deal about energy and chakras, but for our listening audience, you know, unpack that for us. What, what do you mean by uh, he carried all of this anger and, and it lodged itself in, in his lungs, his chakras, as mm-hmm. you would say, and, and how that energy, you know, unpack that whole thing for our listening audience, please. Well, what happens in, in those instances I believe at the bottom of everything is fear. And fear from fear radiates behaviors, the anger, the rage, the grief, the pain. All of that comes out of, you know, fear motivation. Whether we're afraid of life, afraid of a God, afraid of our parents, it doesn't matter. When we carry tremendous amounts of fear, and I know my dad did, having heard his story, there's no way in heaven that he and his brothers and sisters couldn't have been in tremendous fear from their father, who, by the way, was an al- a raging alcoholic. And so he used a lot of physical abuse, a lot. And it was a lot of abuse that I wouldn't even talk about on the air. So I know my dad was raised in a lot of fear. He had a lot of fearful beliefs. He was a very, um, he, on the inside, when you can get into his heart, he was a, just an incredibly loving, sensitive man that covered all that up with all his fear and anger and rage and the pain that came from all of that and all the unprocessed memories that he had stored away. And the lungs are one of those areas that store grief. And when you store grief, when you store that energy It is energy. Everything's energy. You know, the chair I'm sitting on is energy. It's just very dense, low vibrational energy. So it appears to be solid. Well, when that energy, when those energies, those densities lodge in our body and they lodge in certain organs, it weakens those organs. And if his path to walk was being susceptible to cancer, I believe that is the area it would have lodged for him. I see. Okay, now, I have always, and I've taught for 30 years, that there's no such thing as a fear uh, without anger. Because, right. you know, anger right. is a, a nasty getting even response. Yep. That's how I think of anger. A defense okay? mechanism. Right, and there's no such thing as anger without a fear. And, yeah. and you know, there's a lot of so-called machismo folks out there. Uh, who tend to think that, you know, well, anger has nothing to do with fear. I'm not afraid of anything, you know. I'm, but, but in fact, underlying every anger, there is a fear. Uh, and it might just be, you know, that, that somebody took something away from you. They cut in front of you in 5 o'clock traffic, and somehow you, you've been diminished by that, your self-esteem. Uh, but there's, a, there's always this fear. That underlies that. Did you find that that fear in you had was in any way related to cancer? Oh, definitely, most definitely. And and Eldon, I carried a lot of anger and a of lot course. of rage myself, and a lot of deep resentment. You know, I resented 
my father and my mother for how they treated treated me and my brothers. You know, I resented it when they didn't um, understand when I was suffering in pain. I was afraid. I needed someone to put their arm around me and tell me it was going to be okay. The anger I felt about that and the pain that I felt, it churned in me, and it, it was part of the resentment that I carried. And every one of those energies that I stuffed, by the way, I stuffed a lot of it. I'm not saying I didn't get angry and I didn't, you know, scream out every once in my life. I did. But I but stuffed a lot. But like your mother, you repressed a I lot I repressed of a lot of it. And those energies were stuck in my body. Now, when it comes to breast cancer, first I had the cervical cancer at 26, and then I had breast cancer in both of my breasts a year apart. I began to really look at that. I began to look at how um, my body was really attacking, if you will, was being attacked in the feminine areas of my body and reproduction in breasts around nurturing babies and in, in nurturing and the breast being the nurturing part of a woman. And what I discovered was very interesting because I, my dad wanted, he always said he wanted nine boys for a baseball team. He used to kid us. <laughs> But he was very much on the champion side of my brothers, especially my younger brother, and not so much with me or my mother. And so I repressed a lot of my feminine nature to please my dad. I was the consummate um, tomboy when I was growing up. I could do anything my brothers could do, and a lot of times I could do it better. And I was always doing it, try, trying to prove myself to my father. That was what I was trying to gain his favor. I was trying to, you know, and he didn't see the real me because of that. The sensitivities I had, the feminine qualities, I just pushed him aside. And I just became his other son to the best of my ability. Then looking, and that was part of that feminine I repressed. And then looking at breast cancer, and I see this in so many women that I counsel and coach around breast cancer. They are people pleasers and nurturers of everyone but themselves. And it's always for recognition, for acknowledgement, and they, they feel they have to do it to gain love. And this is what I did. I was the consummate people pleaser. I was always giving all my energy away to everyone but me. I honored everyone and their needs, but I didn't honor mine. And I started looking at that and went, isn't that fascinating? The breasts, nurturing, we give to our babies, yeah. but they're also about nurturing ourselves. And if we don't do it and we give all our energy away, we're going to have that stagnant, blocked energy in the breast. Very insightful for you to make those connections and to do that all by yourself. Listen, Brenda, let me let me ask you this. I mean... You battled cancer for 14 years before abandoning traditional allopathic medicine. Share with us, what would you go through in those that 14-year period, medically as well as emotionally? Well, medically, all I had was the surgery. I was very fortunate with the cervical cancer and the breast cancer in the left breast that they were contained. They got, when they operated, they got clean margins. 
And of course, I believed them when they said, when you're, when you're past five years, you're home free, basically. You're mm-hmm. cancer free. And I believed that. So when I was free of the cancer from the cervical cancer, and it was 13 years, by the way, Eldon, between cervical cancer and breast cancer in my left breast, I was shocked when the cancer showed up in my breast because I thought I was cancer free. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the medical model and they did surgery and they got what they felt were clean margins and the cancer had been encapsulated. This particular one was encapsulated, had not spread to my lymph nodes or anything. So yes, they thought about maybe me doing a little radiation or chemotherapy, but they didn't push the issue. When it showed up a year after I had the cancer in my left breast, in my right breast, and down my lymph nodes, they were panicking. Because now cancer, I'm, it's like systemic with me. It's yeah. moving through my feminine yeah. places. And now they're adamant about chemotherapy. And during those 13 years between, I, I didn't change a thing about myself. I didn't change my lifestyle. I didn't change my beliefs. I didn't change how I still repressed and put on a, a great face for everybody. I didn't change that I was still the people pleaser. None of that shifted for me because all I was looking at was the physical body and all I was interested in was a cure, which means for 90% of the people or 99% I know is get rid of the cancer and you're home free. Not so. Not necessarily so. You know, you're in a relationship and... You know, these kinds of things are like life-threatening, and they're, they're going to scare everybody around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about, you know, that side of the experience during this 14 years. Well, I, my, you know, everybody was terrified when I had the first surgery and the first cancer. But, of course, after the five years, and you know, I called them and said, Yay, it's my five-year anniversary, everybody, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm healthy. I'm okay. Everybody felt relief. And I don't think anybody really gave it much thought after that. Um, a lot of people say they wait for the other shoe to drop. Well, I waited five years for it to drop, and it didn't. So I was convinced I was okay. And I think just by me being okay, that put everybody else in my family and friends and my then-husband at ease. But when it came back a second time, yes, it shocked not only me, but everybody else. And I still wasn't awake yet, Eldon, enough to ask, why is this happening? What is really going on here? I just felt victim to it, which is what we mostly do. We think it comes out of nowhere, and then suddenly we have this condition, and we just don't know where it came from. We don't think to ask those questions, and I didn't think to ask that question then. I still didn't until it came the third time. And I got the diagnosis of, you know, if you do not do the chemo, maybe you're going to survive a year, maybe, but without it, chances are you won't. And if you do the chemo, maybe maybe we can give you five years, maybe more. That was what they told me. Now, you said, Brenda, and I don't want to be insensitive here, but, you know, the, many people who deal with uh, life-threatening diseases 
for that matter, with uh, conditions that are debilitating, find that, you know, the spouse is headed for the high country. Um, you know, family doesn't know how to deal with it, so they suddenly kind of drop out. They're there, maybe on the phone or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, they're not. As, you, you indicated that your then-husband, during this 14-year period, did you have a divorce? I did. Um uh, at the very end of it, uh, I was with that. I was with my first husband through the cervical cancer, and it wasn't too long after that that we ended up in divorce. And then I was on my own for I don't remember maybe four or five years. I met my second husband. We married, and he actually was very present to and very supportive through those cancers for me. Very supportive. I, I couldn't have asked for a more of a rock to lean on at the time. It ultimately, after I got on my feet, after I took control of my life and reclaimed my power, that is when we started having problems. And then that marriage also ended in a divorce. So here's where I'm going. Do you think that had you had there been more support in your first marriage that you may not have, um, you know, experienced? Uh, well, let me say it differently. It sounds like because you had support, you were able to turn in and begin to reflect on yourself and look at why things went on. Um, as opposed to when you didn't have support, or is that uh, is that causal factor even relevant? Oh, I think everything is relevant. I think it just depends on the person and the circumstance. I had a very toxic first marriage. My first husband was very much like my father, which I think is fairly common. Yeah. You know, when we're unaware, we go out and we marry what's familiar. And my yep. ex-husband was very familiar. He physically abused me. He emotionally and verbally abu- abused me. Um, so I was really familiar with that. That was what I grew up with. And I stayed there for 12 years as a result of that. So I didn't have, I didn't have any support from that re- in that regard. And that was a toxic relationship. And relationships matter. I mean, if you're not in a very loving uh partnership, and you have a husband or a a wife who is toxic and negative and controlling and all the things that maybe you grew up with, they are familiar, but they are detrimental to you nonetheless, that has an effect on the body. You bet. Amen. Brenda, we have to hold it there. We have another break coming. Uh, When we come back, we'll pick it up. If you would like to know more about Brenda Michaels and her wonderful book, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing, check out our website at intentionalshift.com. Now, we have a video for you during the break. It's actually a 1980 episode of In Search Of with Leonard Nimoy. Uh, Nimoy. He begins by asking, is the power of the mind so great that it can cure cancer? You can check it out by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? 
I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Brenda Michaels about her life, work, and book, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing. This is a book for everybody, by the way, and, and, I, and I truly mean that. Uh, if you want to improve your life, this is a great read. Now, Brenda, mm-hmm. we just played your second musical choice, The mm-hmm. Power of Love. Mm-hmm. Uh, so please tell us, why is this one special to you? Even though it's done in Italian... And I don't understand the words. There is a, I was going to ask you that. Yeah, yeah. There is a frequency to it, something in the voices and the melody that soothes my soul. And I know there is great power in love. And anything that, that sings to my heart, that nurtures my heart, 
that makes me feel at peace and inspires me, which that music does, then I'm there. So it's the energy of the sound, and I can't say much about that because, mm-hmm. I mean, there aren't lyrics for me to kind of quiz you about, are there? Yeah. All right, you snuck by on that one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought that might be a little challenging, but um, I feel that music, and it speaks to me at a level I can't really put into words. Music often does that, mm-hmm. uh, and it doesn't have to have a vocal for it to indeed mm-hmm. move us. Now, in the foreword to your book, which is written by Dr. Christian Northrup, right. she writes, and I quote, The first step we must all take in order to put this inner healing power to work in our lives is to tell the truth to ourselves about our lives without whitewashing it, cleaning it up to make it more acceptable, or wallowing in self-blame. Please unpack this idea for us. How does that relate to what your book says, your message is, and your life? Well, I think it relates quite well to my life and to and to what I wrote in the book. In and it really was something that was a great lesson for me, Alden, in my healing process. Was that for the first time in my life, I felt like I had to get really deeply honest with myself and stop hiding or pretending. That how, I how did you do that, Brenda? How did you get really honest with yourself? I began journaling about it, and I began to ask my question, you know, a question. I remember writing a question one morning when I would do some deep breathing, and then I would write the question out. And then I just sort of did the automatic writing around it. And the question was, what am I really like? I I have a perspective of myself that I had put out into the public, but that wasn't really me. Mm -hmm. What am I really like? What is really going on with me? And some of the things that came out of that automatic writing were pretty startling. You know, I wasn't, I always pretended to be the nice girl, the good girl, because I wanted the acceptance from people. I felt if I wasn't being the good girl, that people would look down on me or criticize me. And I was raised with a lot of criticism. So I was afraid of criticism. And I would sidestep anything to not be criticized, to not be found out. And I, I began, when I began this healing process, and something in me, Eldon, began to awaken. Because I didn't, I wasn't, I didn't have books that I was, being guided by. I was reading really, really profound books then, like A Course in Miracles, and it was awakening certain things. I was having these aha moments. All those aha moments led me to sort of design and create my own approach to healing, which was what I was doing on the emotional, spiritual, and mental processes. Right. So, Brenda, did you develop a set of questions for yourself or from your experience, have you developed a set of questions that you guide other people with I, that assist them in uncovering their own, forgive me, crap? <laughs> I do. I do it in my coaching sessions is when I use it. It is, for most people, a very vulnerable place to be and a very private, deeply private place to be. 
So I use those questions when I'm doing my personal work with them. Can you share some of the questions? I mean, I know our listening audience out there is perfect. Many of them walk on water, but for those of us that don't, you know, uh, what kinds of questions can we ask that really help us understand ourselves more deeply? One of the questions um, that I use quite often is, what in you, I'll say you if I'm talking to a client, what in you believes you are X? And then I want you to fill in the blank. What in you believes you are X? And I have them take some deep breaths into their body and really sit with that. I don't want this coming from, you know, just the mind throwing something up. I really want them to go in and call forth that if you will, inner child that's been, I talk about the soul being shattered, if you will, into lots of pieces when we're damaged and wounded. And I see those pieces as little children within me, parts of the inner child. So which one of your inner children and what does that inner child believe about you? And some of the things that come up, like for me, were quite startling and quite revealing, and I'm going to use this, and a lot of people kind of rear back from this, Eldon, but it really opens up and shines the light on our level of self-hatred. People say, I don't hate myself, sure. but when you start that type of exploration, you begin to see that that shadow side, that part that you've stuffed so deeply that you're not in touch with, you have parts of you that carry that kind of hatred toward you. And those parts are like the 70% of the iceberg under the water, and they dictate a lot of your habits and patterns and behaviors and definitely a lot of that very, very negative self-talk. That one question alone will be startling for people. That's a great question. That's a great place to start. And and most people, uh, and when I say most, I, I probably would, I'm so inclined to say all people. That the yeah. only thing that hesitate, hesitation that stops me is nothing is 100%. Right. Uh, they are in denial about, you know, what has been called the Lucifer effect that uh, mm-hmm. accompanies all of us, mm-hmm. that dark side, that shadow, and that disapproval. Um, you know, Freud, of course, wanted to talk about the, the ego and the superego. Well, the superego is that that perfect parent uh, that that is overseeing everything that we do and don't do and is always critical of everything, and mm-hmm. and it resides within all of us. And so within every human being there is this sense of uh you know i'm not i'm not as good as i could be and um and and, and that leads to um uh, giving rise to what you've identified as self-hatred and it really is a disgust of ourselves mm-hmm. that most of us hide and and i do think that it this undercurrent that you have discovered that you are leading out here that I'm having I hope helping you unpack right now is critical to good health I mean I, I don't think that we can avoid certain 
um, conditions if, if we don't cleanse ourselves of this. Do you see it that way or not? I absolutely do see it that way, Eldon, and and I don't even think it's just our physical health. I think it's the health of our relationship to ourselves and, therefore, our relationship to everything else, whether it's to money or a spouse or a best friend or a job or a dream or whatever. It affects every single area of our lives. And isn't it interesting that we call certain, like cancer and multiple sclerosis and things like that, disease. And I, I talk a lot about the dis-ease, the dis-ease that we carry that will, when we carry it long enough and are weakened enough by it, will outpicture as disease in our bodies. And what I learned in going into all of this and getting brutally, maybe not the best word, but for me it felt like I was being sort of brutal with myself sometimes, being that honest with myself and uncovering some of those things that I I believed about myself, when I could, the the follow-up question to that with my clients and was for myself was, okay, you've now shown a light on this. This is very real. This sits here in me. Can I make peace with that? Can I, somewhere in me, can I, with the help of my spirit, my God presence or God or whatever it is that you feel is a higher power, can I bring this into me? I used to see it, like I said, those fractured parts of the soul, and I would put my child, my inner child, in that fractured piece, and I would see her. I would see, she was me, and she looked so disheveled and sometimes ugly. Could I bring her to me, the now mature person, the, the, the higher person? Could I bring her to me? Could I bring her into my lap? And I would actually take them through a meditation and bring that piece of them to themselves can you bring them to your bosom, your soul, your heart, and forgive that peace and make peace with that peace and love that peace? Because when you do, you transform it. Yeah. You, you know, I, I think every one of us, Brenda, um, see sides of ourselves. Maybe maybe something as simple as walking you know, by a mirror and we... We see ourselves and, oh, that isn't how we want to look, and so we change our posture or mm-hmm. we comb our hair. or we. So, I, you know, the there is a ever-present awareness within every human being, I believe, that there is a part of ourselves that we don't want to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want to see ourselves differently than the way we see ourselves, you know, when we just see it honestly. <clears throat> Let me refer back to the setup piece. You know, what role do you think a physician's attitude has with regard to the healing process? I mean, I'm thinking two things. One, you know, if 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 they're negative about, you know, spiritual methods or or uh, mind healing methods, uh, you know, it, this is all about just mechanistic functions of the body, you know, mm-hmm. and there's nothing I can do. They're really giving you a death sentence, in my view. Right. Uh, but two, there is also the, 
the opposite of that. I, I have a friend who is a, a, a neuro uh, uh, neurologist in uh, on the East Coast uh, who speaks to his patient very candidly um, with respect to what do you think it is that you believe that may have produced this dis-ease? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that these are two opposite roles a physician is in the place to take. Do you think that either of these roles should be the roles of a physician? Well, I think that uh, for me personally, Eldon, I could only be with a physician that was open, number one, to really hearing me, listening to me, and open to hearing what I have to say what my feelings are, what my intuitions are, what what I feel might be going on. I need a physician that can hear that. And I need a physician that goes beyond the mechanistic because we are more than chemicals and blood and tissue and bone. We are energy. We are way beyond all of that mechanistic. And yet we are, you know, resonating at a, enough solid energy to feel very solid and real and that has that side of it too but for me they have to be willing to be open and if they're not then that is not someone that I can put a whole lot of trust into to the degree that I do trust and mostly I'm trusting myself because I'm checking in how does this doctor How do I really feel in the presence of this doctor? He just said X, and I check in. How does that make me feel? Not what am I thinking about what he said, but how am I feeling about what he said? Because when I get to that place, I'm tapped in to a larger part of me that already knows. And that part will guide me in in you know conducive with the physician yeah. in lockstep with my physician. So right. this is a I'm looking for teamwork here. I'm not looking for the hierarchy. You're the doctor. You know better, and I don't know. I'm just a victim of this disease. Yeah. See, I guess what I I see here, and I understand what you're saying, and I totally concur, uh, and and absolutely concur about always checking off with yourself. I remember within the presence of the authority mm-hmm. that the only defense you have for, you know, failing to discriminate is to check off and say, wait a minute, hold it. I don't need to accept that, you know, blah, right. blah, blah, whatever you do psychologically or, or to yourself in your own talk. How does it feel? What do I think? You know, I don't need to accept this. Use whatever. But But my point was this. We see a physician, and the physician is a mechanist. It's easy to walk away from that. You and I would walk away from that in a minute. But I hear everything that you say, and and I know what my own undercurrent, uh, my own life experience has taught me. And so there's a part that wants to see the physician take a more active role in suggesting that there are paths to healing that may have to do with what you believe about life, how you think about yourself, um, you know, the alternative path that you took to uncover why you were punishing yourself mm-hmm. with this disease. And I believe that's your bottom line, isn't yeah. it? You were punishing yeah. yourself? Oh, definitely. Okay. So, so what is it 
you know, that you were gaining out of punishing yourself. So my, my, my point is this. If you have a physician that is willing to lead a person in that direction, sometimes they're met with the resistance of, wait a minute, what you, you're, you're trying to make uh, the patient feel guilty for being sick. That's totally unfair. How can you do that? I mean, they're sick with cancer. How can you blame them for their disease? And therein is my is my real question. Mm-hmm. How do you feel a physician should really handle this if they are that that healthcare giver that would be our, you know, the one you and I would both find to be our perfect healthcare giver? Well, if he was awake or she was awake and aware enough to approach it as a healing process, not just the physical cure, as as we're culturated to believe. If he was awake or she was awake and aware enough to do that, then I would, I would hope that they would be aware enough when they approach a person, because I get this all the time when I go out and speak, Eldon. You know, what are you saying? Uh, I brought this cancer on myself. Yeah. And what I say to that is, this is not about blame. This is not about something you did to yourself purposely. This is not, oh, I go out and I I create cancer and I have it. It's not about that. This is about we are we are spiritual beings having this this physical experience, this human experience. So we have both sides of us. That spiritual side, that higher side, and then we have the personality that only knows you know, it it needs to have X needs met or it's unhappy and it becomes, you know, a lethal weapon sometimes in our own life by punishing ourselves. So if we, I say to people, this isn't about blame. This is about you have power within you. You have a knower within you. Wouldn't you want to team up with that power to help guide you through this? And you can't know that knower, and you can't team up with that knower until you admit the truth about yourself, which doesn't make you a bad person. It simply makes you a person that is acting out this way. That's all. You're the one placing judgment on it. And the judgment you place on it is being projected outward. And so if you're judging it, I'm going to pick up on that. And chances are I'm going to judge you, too, because that's the energy exchange that we have. So if you can be with it, whatever it is, if you can make peace with it, whatever it is, and simply acknowledge it, you have the power now to allow that energy to move, to transform. And if you're working as a team member with your doctor on the physical side, that is a powerful team. But you can't Amen. you can't do it if you're not willing to be responsible. You know, it, it, I spent years doing research on this whole area of the mind and the body and wellness, and you know, I, I basically boiled it down in my book, uh, Wellness: Just a State of Mind, to this: if if you have a dis if you're feeling, you know, a sickness and illness, ask yourself, what do you have to gain from it? Yes. 
You know, what, yep. what is it? I mean, maybe you're, in your instance, I mean, you're punishing yourself. Well, we can see what you were gaining out of punishing yourself. That's mm-hmm. what self-punishment is it about. But sometimes, you know, we'll we'll get a... Well, I guess I the classic is this. You know, the ballet dancer who's terrified of performing will sprain her ankle right. and not get a sore throat, while the singer gets a sore throat and never sprains his ankle. Right. We have some very convenient ways yep. of uh, choosing our dis-ease, if you will. Absolutely. All right. We've got a break coming up here. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about your dedication to your book. I, I want to know what you are referring to when you talk about, uh, first and foremost, the, demi- the Divine Mother. Okay? Okay. All right. We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook and or drop me an email at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together. So I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show.
Welcome back. We've been chatting with Brenda Michaels about her life and book, The Gift of Cancer, A Miraculous Journey to Healing. In this half hour, we will take your calls, so if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I love your feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook, so I invite you to join me there today. All right, Blenda, we just played A Day Without Rain. Tell us, why is this one important to you? And again, how does it inform us about who you are? Well, A Day Without Rain, the title of it speaks to me right there, uh, meaning that we have a choice about how we go into each of our days. And some of, some of the time, and a lot of people, a lot of the time, go into their days like it is a gray, rainy day, that they're, they're going to a job that they hate, Maybe they're living with a spouse that there is no true intimate relationship any longer. Perhaps they've, they're carrying around an illness that they haven't, you know, discovered that that's part of what's going on in their life. But there's an attitude, and you talk about it, about the mind, the thoughts that we have. Either our thoughts are raining down love and peace and joy or they are raining down negative, pessimistic thoughts. And we do get to choose. So a a day without rain really speaks to me because I really choose how I want to go through my day. And I make it a choice every single morning when I get up. And I began that practice when I was healing. All of this came to me when I was going through my healing process because I was such a negative person. And I didn't um, embrace my days. And I didn't feel inspired in my days. And I didn't feel joyful and happy. And I wasn't at peace with right where I was in my days. I always wanted to, it to be different. And if we can't accept what is and come to peace with right where we are, then you, I don't believe you can be happy. I love it. You're right. You know, I, I tell everybody, if you want to make the most out of your day, first thing you do when you open your eyes, and we're right back to gratitude. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It sets a whole psychological tone. Then put a big smile on your face because the brain doesn't know that you're forcing that smile. And you're hardwired. Put that smile on your face, and the brain says, oh, Release some endorphins, the body's natural opiates. Yeah. And by golly, you do feel good. Yeah. Then step out of bed. Yes. I love your I love your attitude. Thank From your dedication, we read, and again I quote, First and foremost, I dedicate this book to Divine Mother, my guiding light, mentor, and loving presence that is always within me. Now, Divine Mother may refer to, you know, many forms of goddesses and Hindus or the Blessed uh, Virgin Mary in Catholicism or maybe even the Lady Master Venus from Ascended Master's teachings and so on. So, Brenda, please inform us. What are you referring to when you address the Divine Mother in your dedication? The Divine Mother for me, and she does show up. I mean, she shows up in a picture in my mind that I've imagined. So it's going to be different for everyone. Mm -hmm. But her presence, when she shows up, she's the feminine side of God for me. She's more of the nurturing side. She's more of that support piece. She's 
the heart of it all. And so much of my work is centered around going deeply, deeply into my heart and expanding the heart chakra, that whole energy center, more and more. And the reason I do that work and I call her forth to help me is because the more expanded that center is and becomes, and the more deeply I'm able to love myself, then I'm more deeply able to love everything, all of life, all peoples. It, you know, it, it, it's about that ability to love more profoundly. And right. I'm, no, I have... I'm very dedicated to that. I have to ask you this now. There are systems like part of the Hebrew system where we have a feminine aspect and a masculine aspect of of the divine. Mm-hmm. And there's an appropriate time that we would need or call upon either of those um, sides, if you will. Right. The feminine to you, it would seem to me to be more important because of your denial of your feminine nature due to the imposition of your father and his nine sons and your attempt to satisfy. Does that make any sense to you? Complete sense. Complete sense. And also, because uh, totally that that's a huge part of it, Eldon. You hit the nail on the head. The other piece of that is my, if you will, my experiences with the male energy, which have been more dominant Sure. More aggressive, uh, you know, not as opened and nurtured, nurturing is I need. And so that more feminine piece for me works for me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't call on the masculine side. I was raised a Christian. And during my healing process, when I would go into meditations and I would call forth all my guides, those that were there present for me, was when I began to see in my mind the picture and feel and sense the energy of the Divine Mother. But also present were a couple of the archangels, um, that energy that I felt was the archangel energy for me, was Archangel Michael and Jesus. Jesus was present a lot with me. Is that because of how I was raised and my religious beliefs at that time? It doesn't matter. Those energies were loving and supportive and nurturing, and I could call upon them to be with me and guide me. But my main guide was the Divine Mother energy. Right. And and I totally concur with you, what you just said. I mean, archetypal um, information is what we're really dealing with. You could mm-hmm. be a Buddhist, a Hindu, a, a Sikh, a, a Jainist, uh, and that energy that appears to you may not be Jesus, but it would be of the same archetype, the yeah. healing master. Yeah. And and I think that's that's a very important part of the healing process. And I think one of the reasons that, you know, some people have difficulty in their healing is they're not willing to begin an imagination process. Now, I don't want to put any words into your mouth, but... I'm just going to set up something here, and then I'm going to ask you about it. 
Uh, there are folks that just, uh, for all intent and purposes, have a great difficulty in believing in the divine. They can't describe it, and because they can't put words on it, then they can't tell you what it is, and that puts it even further away from their ability to, to really even, you know, sense it. Mm-hmm. And and for those people, I've often said, what I want you to do is just imagine. I want you to imagine that you have. Angels. I want you to imagine that you have guides. I want you to imagine wise men, uh, wise women that are there to assist you. It, because if you begin to imagine, you may find that you tap into some archetypes that that help help you in the process of uncovering. So uh, now I'm going to ask you. That's the setup piece. Uh, I'm going to ask you. Did you have to begin imagining? Uh, you say you were pretty, you know, uh, negative person. Uh, mm-hmm. That doesn't sound like someone that's very spiritual, but you tell us. Oh, you bet I did. I had to imagine, and not only did I have to use my imagination, I had to begin to trust it. Because a lot of times when I was imagining, then my mind would kick in and I would I would start thinking. and It would take me out of the present moment. I'd start thinking, oh, this is all in my head. I'm just making that up. And then I would hear, if I get back into my breathing and go back into that more imaginary energy, I would hear, of course, it's you're making it up. You are imagining it, but it is real nonetheless. I heard that so many times. It is real nonetheless. Mm-hmm. And so I began to trust that. And the more I began to trust that and trust the imagination, the more vivid my imagination became and the more real things became for me. We are, after all, co-creators with this energy we call God. We are co-creative. We are creative beings. We are, from my point of view, Eldon, we're creating all of this. Yep. So... Yep. And, and when you really realize that and you go, well, why is my, my life such a mess? It's not about there's something wrong with you. It's not that you're a bad person. It's that you are a person that has believed some things about yourself and have had some wounding in your life that took you off your, your path, that path that you were born into that pure place when you were a baby. And that's all it means. And that means you can course correct. There's a lot of power in knowing that, that it's, it is within you to do it, and there's so much help out there today to do it. Your shows is one of them. I mean, my gosh, you're doing such a service for all of your listeners. There's some, so much help available. Well, thank you, and likewise, you you do the same thing with your show. That's why you do the show. Of course. In fact, you know, that kind of leads me to a relevant question. Uh, The natural thing for a person to do who's been through what you've been through is to write a book and tell everybody how to do it. But I understand you had a real problem writing (laughs) a book. Tell us about that. It was such a struggle for me, Eldon. And, you know, if you believe in astrology, and I do, and I know there are certain personality traits and archetypes that we take on in our personalities, and, you know, I have Gemini rising, and so I should be a natural writer. That's part of the Gemini. And the communication piece is, yes, very prominent for me. I can speak it. 
But when I sat down to translate it into words, I just couldn't quite get there. I couldn't quite find my voice in the writing part of it. I could speak it, but I couldn't quite find it when I translated it onto paper. And there was a huge resistance in me to even writing a book because I was holding a belief. I'm not a writer. I can't write. That is exactly the words that came out of my mouth when the person that approached me and said, you You will write a book about this. And I said, no way. I'm not a writer. I don't know how to write. And I really, really believed that. And so I pushed it away as far as I could for as long as I could. But I found out I can write. Now, maybe that isn't something that I'm deeply inspired to do. It's not my first love, but I certainly can do it. But it took it was a long road getting this book out. And it's a great book. It is a great book. And there's a lot of yourself in the book. And that's one of the things I appreciate most is, you know, the candor and you're willing to expose uh, what a lot of people would hide at all costs. Right. Let me ask you this, though, now. So here you are, you, you've you had cancer your third time, you've been healed twice by traditional medicine, uh, they're get, going to give you a year, they want to give you all these treatments, etc., and you say, no, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, now that takes either some craziness <laughs> or a lot of courage, you know, Uh and then, you know, you've got to have people around you that are saying you're nuts. Oh, yeah. Uh, tell us what that was like, what that decision was like, and, and, and how much support you did or didn't have with regard to it. Well, I believe, and I know for a fact, because I've had the experience a million times now, our bodies communicate with us. There is a intelligence that the body carries, you know, and it's part of that divine intelligence that yes. we all carry. I'd never been in tune with my body before. Now, I've always been thin. I've always had what people refer to. I did a lot of modeling when I was young. I, you know, I had the looks and the body and all of that, but none of that I appreciated. And none now, of you that. You said that in past tense. You, you don't want to say it in past tense because you still have it. Oh, I, I still do, but, but right, I was actually modeling back then and doing all that, you know marching across the stage and feeling pretty good about, you know, how I looked. And I was preoccupied with how I looked, but I was never occupied in my body. And I never cared about how my body felt unless it was feeling sick. Then it got my attention. The rest of the time I took it for granted. But in this case, when I was told that without chemotherapy, I had about a year to live um, and then There would be nothing they could do for me. Something inside of me awakened. And suddenly when the doctor, both my surgeon, and I had been seeing an oncologist who had me on the drug tamoxifen, which I quit taking on my own for various Mm -hmm. reasons, when they both sort of, I said, ganged up on me, so to speak, and said, okay, now we have to do the chemotherapy. You can no longer pretend and deny this and and all the foolish decisions that they thought I'd been making. Physically, a couple things happened, Eldon. Physically, it it was like a fist that showed up in my gut. And this fist was clenching so so tight that I, I literally would cramp, kind of cramp over. 
when the word chemotherapy, when I thought about it, I would get that reaction. And that mm-hmm. was the signal to me to pay attention. Oh, what's that all about? I had to ask, what does that mean? Is it just my fear talking or is my body saying, this may not work for you, this may not be good for you? So I began to explore that. As alongside of that, my intuition was speaking. It's I started hearing that still small voice for the first time in my life when I tuned in. And I was hearing, not directly, but basically hearing what I interpreted as this is not going this is not going to be enough for you. It's not going to work that way for you. That was the feeling that I got along with the physical sensation and I explored it and put two to two and two together and I realized this was not the walk I needed to walk with this any longer. I needed to do something different. But I didn't know what it was, but I needed to do something different. And so I made the decision. I will not do that protocol. And I had no idea when I said that what I was going to do. I just knew I couldn't do that. How did the people around you respond? Well, other than my husband then, my then husband, who was my second husband at the time, who was very supportive, everybody freaked, including my doctors. And and I loved both of my doctors. My surgeon and my oncologist were two of the most wonderful doctors. They were so kind, so so patient-centered. I really respected and loved them both. But they went crazy, too. Everybody flipped out. And I held the line. Don't ask me how I did it, Eldon, but something in me w- was so strong that I held that line. And I said, no, irregardless. And uh, and I remember walking out of my oncologist's office when I told him I, I simply cannot do this protocol. He told me I was being foolish and a few other things. And I turned around and I just said to him, I, I so respect you and I so know that you know what you're doing on that side of the line, but something else in me is pushing me in another direction and I need to find out what that is. And I walked out and I went home and dropped to my knees and started to pray. What? Where am I supposed to go? What can I do? Where is my part in this? Where do you want me to be? I began to ask earnestly because I had no idea, and I was terrified. Brenda, you call your cancer a gift, mm-hmm. and I think when somebody reads the book, they get that message loud and clear. Mm-hmm. But, you know, for our listening audience, in the the beginning I told you we want to know who the messenger is, what the message is, and how we use it. I think we've got the message in the messenger. How do we use it? Well, you if if you read the book, and even if you don't, if you take to heart some of the things that we discussed today, Eldon, and you are earnest in your prayer requests about guidance in your life. If you are earnest in finding a modicum of freedom in your life, which, by the way, comes with that responsibility, if you're really there, if you want to wake up to the greater you, the knower in you, the one that is there always guiding, we're just not paying attention, 
and you ask from that place of earnest. It isn't a place of desperation. It is a place of deep authenticity and sincerity. You will be guided. What you need and how you can receive it will be brought to you. Your spirit knows what you need and how you need to receive it to understand it. And you have to learn to trust that. We're about out of time. And before we get out of here, I want everybody to know, you know, in the next 30 seconds, how they can learn more about you, um, hear your radio show, get your book, etc. Give well, us they, the commercial. They, they can go to for the book and more about my work with Intentional Shift and some workshops we're doing, etc. They can go to intentionalshift.com. To hear our radio show, if you're in the Seattle area, it's 1150kknw.com or conscioustalk.net, which is our Conscious Talk radio show website, or you can get a stream us live at either one of those addresses. All right. I want to thank you, Brenda, for your willingness to share with us and to share with us so honestly. Uh, I, I think you've got some jewels here that we can all benefit from. Thank you, Well, Edith. we've We've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest once again and all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. And remember, if you have comments on the show, do please let us know. Okay? Until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.